0: I want to invite our kids to head back to the station known as Transformation back there, our Redemption Kids ministry. I pray they have a great time this morning. And I'd like to invite you to open your copy of God's Word to First Samuel chapter 16. Uh, we'll be in the ninth book of the Bible in the Old Testament. So if you start at the beginning, you'll hit the ninth book. That's First Samuel. We'll be in chapter 16 this morning. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we provided, it's page 238. And I want to pray and ask God to speak to our hearts this morning. And uh, as I do that, I want to continue to pray for uh, our country. Uh, Most of you are aware of the Supreme Court decision this week, and I figure we need to talk about these matters as a church. Um, So just know that um, that, that's not a, a decision that reflects our understanding of God's Word. Um, and at the same time, what we want to do is as we, as we realize that our nation is becoming increasingly post-Christian, uh, basing our, our, our lives and even the values that we see in culture that, that, that wouldn't necessarily reflect what we find in the Bible and how we're called to live as Christians, uh, we should do at least three things, I think, all right? Number one, we should pray, and that's what we're going to pray this morning. Uh, number two, we should love. As we love God, His love transforms us to love all people, Right? So, so we are no respecters of persons at Redemption Hill. Uh, we see all sin as serious before God, so um, that, 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 is, that is without question. We are all in need of God's grace. And then number three, what I hope is it can continue to foster serious and honest dialogue as we have the opportunities to share The gospel in love, the gospel gives us motivation to love people and to speak to people, no matter what their background or spectrum of life may be, in a way that is truly powerful and has the power to transform, just like it's transformed us, all right? So let's pray, and let's ask God to do this uh, in our hearts and through us. God, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning. God, we thank you that you are a God who cares for us, God, we're humbled that you would look on any of us and set your love upon us. Lord, there is not one person in Medford, not one person... In greater Boston, the state of Massachusetts, our country, the United States of America, that is not made in your image, that does not have dignity before you, is not someone that, that we are called to love with all of our hearts. And so, Lord, we pray that as a church, even though we may differ with uh, practices and even decisions that are made in our, in our country in terms of our understanding of your word and what you call us to and, and what marriage is, um, Lord... This is actually just another opportunity for us to love, another opportunity to display light. So God, would you use us as a church as we interact with friends They don't see things the way that we see them? God, we just pray that you would, you would help us to love and that you would help us to, 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 to converse in such a way that brings you honor and, and that we could, we could uh, just be used by you in the, in the spheres that you place us. And Father, most of all, I think, at least in my heart this morning, what I want to pray is that we wouldn't stand in judgment over people, not that we can't discern what we believe is right from wrong according to your word, but that we wouldn't stand in judgment in a sense that we are better than anyone. Father, if if we have been disturbed by what we see around us, may we be even more disturbed by what we see in our own hearts that doesn't look like Christ. So God, we pray that even as we look into your word this morning that you would do that kind of work in us. Search our hearts this morning, we pray. Lead us into the way everlasting. Lead us into the path of wisdom, the path of righteousness, the path of life, the path of Christ. By your spirit today, we pray in his name, amen. Well, for years, the I-35 Westbound Bridge that is outside of the, the area of the downtown, downtown Minneapolis, um, it carried roughly 140,000 vehicles across that bridge every single day. But in 2007, tragedy struck. That bridge that stretched across the Mississippi River collapsed. Now, the bridge to everyone's eyes, and of course those that were going uh, across it day by day, it looked beautiful on the outside. It looked structurally sound on the outside, but there were problems that were not readily apparent beneath the surface. It is believed that metal supports lying below the concrete slowly became fatigued, and after decades of use, the bridge could no longer stand. In a tragic way, the people of Minnesota learned a tragic lesson that we all must learn at some point in our lives, and that is this. What looks really good on the outside may be deeply flawed on the inside. And so it is with our lives. You know That there are times where you, I, we have looked really nice on the outside and everyone thinks that we have our act together. But deep down, beneath the surface, there are flaws within. And so what I want to do today, I want to, to take us below the surface. This is what we try to do every week at Redemption Hill, okay? We're, we're not we're trying to be superficial people or superficial Christians. We want, to, we want God to really work in our lives in such a way that we honor Him. Uh, but today especially, uh, we're going to look at a, a text that is going to lead us to take a serious look at what is going on on the inside. And this passage 1 Samuel 16 is gonna help us do that in a very significant way. So what we have in 1 Samuel 16 is the story of David being anointed as king. Now, David was Israel's greatest king. And this is the first introduction that we have to David in the Bible. Just to catch you up, okay, I said this is the ninth book of the Bible. Let me give you just a summary of the first uh, eight books, all right? We have God who made the world and everything in it, and everything that God made was good, and he created us in his image to know him, to love him, to serve him, and to worship him. We find out very quickly that Adam and Eve did not continue on this trajectory of love for God and serving God and worshiping God purely, but they uh, disobeyed him and experienced the, the just consequences of that sin, which was a disruption in their fellowship with God. Sin entered the world and death through sin. This is what we call the fall. But God, in his grace... Even in the very beginning, in, in chapter three, where we see the story of the fall, he promises to Adam and Eve, he says, look, I am going, I am going to send the offspring of a woman who will, who will crush the work of Satan that has been instrumental in leading to the fall. So God is promising redemption as early as Genesis chapter three. In Genesis 12, he calls this man named Abraham, who he says the, the Messiah, the Redeemer, this offspring of the woman is going to come through him. Abraham's descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky. There'll be more than you can even imagine or count. And so it's through Abraham that the the story of Israel unfolds. This people that were, were chosen by God and belonged to God to be his instrument to bring his redemption to the world, to people like me and you, they were sold into slavery in Egypt. But then they were led out and they were moving toward the promised land. And it wasn't Moses, their leader on the Exodus, that takes them into the promised land. It was a man named Joshua. Joshua finally leads them across the Jordan into the promised land. And and from those days moving past the time of Joshua, what we find is Israel begins to step away from God. If you read the book of Judges, it, the, the key statement, you can understand the book of Judges, all 21 chapters, I believe, uh, through one statement that just says, the people did what was right in their own eyes. And this leads us then to 1 Samuel, where matters go from bad to worse. And not only did they do what was right in their own eyes, but they essentially rejected God's leadership over them as king. And in 1 Samuel 8, they clamored for a king for themselves, like the kings of other uh, nations. And so essentially, they had rejected God as their leader, as their king, 1 Samuel 9 tells us that a man named Saul was chosen to be their king. He was anointed in chapter 10, and then it doesn't take long, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. We see by the end of chapter 15, God has clearly rejected Saul because he was a man after his own motives. He didn't often trust in the Lord, but was swayed by circumstances and distrust, and he was not fit to be God's king. So that takes us from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to First Samuel 16 this morning. And what we find then is, is Israel's in this state where they have a king who has now been disqualified by God. They are going to be led by who would, a person who would be quite the unlikely leader. This is what we see in the first 13 verses of 1 Samuel 16. So read, read along with me as I read these verses for us. I'm going to read the... The, the entire passage it says this, "'The Lord said to Samuel, his prophet, "'How long will you grieve over Saul "'since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? "'Fill your horn with oil and go. "'I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, "'for I have provided for myself a king among his sons.'" And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. rose up and went to Ramah. Okay, here's what I wanna do. I just wanna summarize this story, the 13 verses here, and then we're gonna dive into two encouragements uh, this morning for us from this passage. All right, what we have is Samuel, God's prophet, who would have uh, anointed uh, the new kings. He anointed Saul in chapter 10. Now he's going to anoint the, the coming uh, king, the next king, David, now in chapter 16. And, and, and we see that Saul is grieved, okay? Saul, I mean Samuel, is grieved. He cared about Saul. All right? He cared about the, the, the Lord's anointed, the king who was serving over the people. He knew that, that his downfall was not only personally destructive for himself, but he also knew that it was going to have huge ramifications for the people in Israel. So he's grieving over this downfall. And God says, look, I am not thwarted by the unfaithfulness of men. All right, I have a plan, and the plan is for you to go and anoint a new king. And so Samuel moves forward forward. And he goes to Bethlehem on this stealth mission because Saul had, had clearly began to move away from God. He could not be trusted. If, if he knew about a rival, potential rival to his throne that was anointed as his successor, it is, it is conceivable that he would have killed Samuel. That's why Samuel's saying, look, if Saul hears about this, he's going to kill me. What am I to do? And God says, well, do what you do. Go and offer a sacrifice in Bethlehem. And, and worship me there. But as you do that, you will have opportunity to see the one that I have chosen. And so he calls Jesse. Jesse was a descendant of who? Abraham. And, and one by one, Jesse's sons, seven of his eight sons in attendance, they pass before Samuel the prophet. And, and, and when Samuel sees the first one, Eliab, he's thinking, man, this, this guy kind of looks like a king. Not a bad-looking guy, pretty tall, pretty pretty stately. I think he might be the one. He's the oldest after all. He's probably the most likely candidate. I mean, Saul's on his way out. He's probably the most qualified and most mature. And God says, no, 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 Samuel, no, not, not him. And so the second son walks by and God says, no, not him. The third, no, not him. 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 Samuel is probably puzzled in these moments. And he looks at Jesse and he says, Jesse, what's going on here? Like, do you have any more sons? I've asked you to bring your sons to the sacrifice and I'm not getting the word from God. And, 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 and Jesse says, yes, there's one more son, the youngest He wasn't even invited to the sacrifice. He had to go keep the sheep. I I will invite him now to come and join us. And when David passes in front of Samuel, God says, this is the one. Here's the one. Here's the man for the job, the one that I have chosen. In verse 7, I want you to walk away with verse 7 today. Uh, God says to Samuel, this is the key verse, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. Because I have rejected him. Why? This is it. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So this is what I want you to hear this morning, okay? Before God uses us in his work, he wants our hearts. He wants our hearts. He wants all of us, okay? It is is intimacy before ministry, okay? Okay? Intimacy before we go about ministry. Um, I want to encourage us this morning to prioritize intimacy with God as we engage in ministry for God. That's it. Prioritize intimacy with God, your heart before God, before you engage in ministry with and for Him. So, two encouragements, all right? Number one, please let this soak in this morning. Think deeply. Think deeply about how God looks at your heart. God sees what no one else can see. He knows every thought. Every motive of our heart is laid open before God. Verse seven could be translated, my way of seeing is not like man's way of seeing. You see, God is is going to look right to our heart. He doesn't focus on the externals. Okay, what we value oftentimes, beauty, strength, riches, acclaim, degrees, intellect. He's looking to our heart first and foremost. He said this in 1 Samuel 13 when when Samuel tried to warn Saul and said, "Look, you know, you're you're on, you're treading on dangerous ground here. You're, you're not following God's ways and God will choose someone." And it says in in, in 1 Samuel 13:14, "Who is a man after his own heart?" 1 Chronicles 16, uh, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, I love this verse. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Picture this. I mean, God is just searching the earth. He sees it all, right? He's omniscient. Uh, He knows everything. And And he says he's searching, why? To give strong support to those whose heart is blameless before him. So what are we talking about? What is the Bible talking about when it speaks of the heart? This is it. The Bible refers to the heart as the the inner life. Okay? Our affections, what we love. Our desires, what we want. Our will, what we choose. Our reason, what we think. Our emotions, what we feel. All of those things. This is a comprehensive scope of the life inside is what the heart refers to when the Bible speaks of the heart. And it is the heart, listen, that leads us to say what we say and to do what we do. Jesus talks about this in the Gospels. He says, out of of the overflow of what's happening in your heart is why you say what you say and why you do what you do. And so, have you, have you ever looked really nice on the outside, but on the inside, you knew that you were an absolute wreck? I mean, we've all been there, right? I mean, perhaps that's you this morning. I mean, you woke up, and you got, you got nicely dressed, and you came to church, and you got your Bible with you, and you sang a couple of songs, and everything looks really good on the outside, because, because here's the deal. We, we can deceive one another, right? We can fool one another. We cannot see always what's happening inside of one another's hearts. God sees what's happening. A few warnings for us about how we can deceive one another and even be self-deceived and think that we have it together when we don't. Here are just a few thoughts, all right? Your knowledge about God is not enough, okay? You can know a lot about God you can actually know the Bible and understand the Bible from cover to cover. You can be able to quote scripture like you're a pastor, you know what I'm saying? I mean, like, that's what we do, you know? We like memorize the Bible for fun, not just for I mean, this is what we do, right? I mean, but, but you can know it really, really well and, and not really know God, not really be in a strong, vibrant relationship with Him. So your knowledge about God is not enough. Number, number two, your apparent actions for God are not enough. Just look back at chapter 15 of, of 1 Samuel. Look in verse 22. It, it, Samuel says to Saul, after he offered an improper sacrifice, this is what God says. He says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. And so what, what he's saying is, this, look, God doesn't want our acts of worship if our heart is not right before him. God is not impressed with our songs this morning if our heart is not seeking to love him and to respond to who he is. We can do a lot of spiritual stuff, but not truly be walking in close relationship with God. So our knowledge about God is not enough. Our apparent actions for God are not enough and are also related to that. Our words about God are not enough. I mean, you've heard this before, right? Anyone can talk a good game. Talk, talk, is, talk is cheap, right? I mean, we, we have to be living it out. Isaiah 29, 13, it says, uh, for this people honor me with their lips. They, they talk a good game with their lips, but their heart, their heart is far from me. Externally, in their actions and what they're saying, they look like they're in, but they're really out. Anyone can say they are a Christian. Anyone. A lot of people assume that because their family grew up Christian, that they're also, that just makes them a Christian. Showing up a couple times at church a couple times a year makes them a Christian. That doesn't make anyone a Christian. So when, when God peers into your heart, when he sees past all of the, all of the stuff on the outside, all of the, what may be a facade on the outside, what does he see? What does God see when he sees your heart? The story of the Bible is one of the heart. God wants to reclaim our hearts for him. Where we all have turned astray and not love God like he's called us to love him, God still in his grace and mercy and love offers us to come back into a right relationship with him, which is why we sing about the cross all the time at Redemption No, We lift the cross. I am going to sing it for you. I am going to sing it high either. All right, we lift it high. You didn't laugh. You're supposed to. All right, lift it high, lift it high, right? I mean, this is what, we, what we're all about because it's through the cross of Christ, the sinless life, his substitutionary death for us that we can now be reconciled to God. We can have a relationship with God through trusting in what Christ did there. So if, if, if our hearts can be deceived, and perhaps if your heart is maybe deceived this morning, then the, the, the greatest encouragement I could give you is to turn to Christ. Christ. To, to, to confess to God what he already knows and just say, God, I've, I've blown it. I haven't really lived for you. Even though I thought I was living for you, man, my heart is not clean before you, but thank you for the blood of Christ that, that is there to forgive me of my sin, to cleanse me of my sin on the inside that I might now have a vibrant relationship, a real relationship with you. And then our deceived heart can really become a devoted heart to God, Maybe you're thinking, well, Tanner, it's great you're talking about how, you know, we we think we got it together, but we don't have it together. Well, what what does it look like when we are walking in step with God and have a devoted heart before him? Well, let me just give you a few encouragements, okay? Number one, the devoted heart dwells with God. The devoted heart dwells with God. Psalm 90, I love this verse. I was reading this past week. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations, the Psalms of David, we're about to jump into the Psalms for four Sundays in the, in the month of July, all right? The Psalms are loaded with real expressions of the heart, real emotions that are happening in the Psalms. That's why we all love the Psalms, right? Uh, David will say in Psalm 27, verse 4, one thing I ask of you, this is what I seek after, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek you in your temple. I mean, God, God was preeminent for David, this is what a heart after God looks like. We want God more than we want anything, any person, anything, any pursuit. We want God the most. The heart devoted to God is saying, like he says, David in Psalm 63 Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land without water. Do you ever have those kind of thoughts? Man, God, I want you more than anything. I want to be devoted to you above everything. It's, you guys know this. Okay, if you're new around Redemption, show and you don't understand this kind of you know, talk that I'm bringing this morning, okay, like God cares about our family. God cares about our work life. We, have, we need to make money and pay the bills. Okay, those are all good things. Please do those things, all right? But, the, but, the, but the, the message of the Bible is that God is supreme. We are pursuing him above all of these things and when we do that, everything else makes, makes sense. It adds up. So the devoted heart is a heart that dwells with God and then here's the consequence. When you dwell with God, I mean, you, you cannot not, sorry about that, but you cannot not delight in God. When you spend time with God He is the most satisfying treasure. It's thrilling to be in the presence of God. It is is comforting to experience his love. It's amazing to hear of his instruction, to have guidance for your life. And what I love about God is even when God calls us to worship him and devote our whole heart to him, he doesn't separate our joy and gladness and delight from that pursuit, but it is contained within the pursuit. You follow me? So this is this quote. The the one pastor says, God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. When we devote ourselves to God, then we will consequently delight ourselves in God. Which then leads to the number three actions for God. We should also have a devoted heart that delights to do God's will. David says in Psalm 40, verses 7 and 8, quoted by Jesus, who is the true and better king, by the way, the Messiah. He says this, behold, I delight to do your will, oh my God. So a clean heart leads to clean hands. When we talk about the hands, we're just talking about our work, our actions, our deeds. That's what God is after. He he wants us to live a life of action, but he wants those actions to flow from a heart that is committed to him in the first place, so, so don't hear, it's just like, hey, read your Bible, pray, worship for 24-7 in a, in a service like this, okay? It's, no, it's like, yes, we, we devote ourselves to God and we seek after him through prayer and the Bible and worship and community, but, but as we do that, then we go out and we actually get our hands dirty and work. We serve others. We live life. We, we, we enter the workplace and we put our best foot forward, and those are all ways that we glorify God. So I love this quote that some have attributed to John Wesley. He said this, uh, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. We are to engage in good works. God is after Comprehensive devotion, our thoughts, our desires, our affection, our will, our resolve, our deeds. He wants all of us. This is why God is saying, Look, I'm looking to the heart. Because if I have the heart, everything is flowing from the heart. So let me just give you a few quick applications out of this for us as we think about this uh, as a church. All right? Number one, if God looks to the heart, we should too. I might, I might not be the most brilliant pastor on the block, all right, but, but that's good. I mean, that's true. That's true, right? If, if God looks at the heart, we should too. And, and let's start with our own hearts here, right? This is why uh, Proverbs 4.23 is our, what we call, meta-memo verse, the, the verse that we want to meditate on this week and, and even maybe memorize, all right? Keep your heart with all diligence. Why? Because it is the wellspring of life. From it flow the springs of life. And so we are to keep our heart. We are to guard our heart because there are temptations all around us. There are distractions that abound around us. And you know this, right? We live in the real world. And so we have to keep our heart. We have to protect our heart. We have to keep it devoted to God. God wants all of us. And then a number two, if God looks to the heart, well, we, sh- we should too, and, and not our, just our own lives, but that of our family. And so we can think about this in two spheres, our, our earthly family and our spiritual family, okay? If you're in Christ here today, you're my spiritual family. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. I care about you. I love you. I want to help guard your heart as I'm praying for you and encouraging you and speaking the truth to you and doing, doing life together. Okay, that's part of it. But also, let's think about just our families, like our earthly families, how concerned are we for their souls before God? Are we caring for their hearts? Fathers, I know Father's Day was last week, but we need to be good fathers every, every day, right? I mean, Our kids are very small, our girls, six, four, and one. But as, as early as they can understand the words that come out of my mouth, I'm trying to ingrain into them to tell them they are beautiful on the outside and the inside. Outside and inside. And I always ask them this question, and what's more important? They all know the answer is the inside. Because God cares about the inside. I want them to understand that. And that's the lesson that you need to understand and live when you're 6, 16, 26, 66. Every day, God is looking at our heart. That's what's gonna, that's the eternal beauty that is unfading. All other beauty is gonna fade away. But not this kind. In fact, Second Corinthians 4 says that it just keeps growing stronger and stronger. It's being renewed day by day. Proverbs 4 says it's like a light that shines brighter and brighter until, new, like, you know, dusk happens in the morning and it's kind of, you know, starting to become light and as the sun rises, it gets brighter and brighter and that's what our lives are to look like on the inside. So we should, we should care about the heart, our own heart, the hearts of those around us. And then also, the hearts of all people Not just our spiritual family, but we should be concerned about the hearts of everyone. I mean, if God chooses unlikely people, then why do we just gravitate toward people that look like us and talk like us and have the same kind of income like us? As, as Pastor John mentioned in our prayer, corporate prayer, man, this is why we love Boston. This is why I love Boston. This is why I wanted to plant a church with a team in a city like Boston because Boston has so much great diversity. People from all over the globe are in Boston. People from every socioeconomic uh, part of the spectrum are in Boston. They're in Medford. And what I want to do is love people that are not like me. When I'm out in Medford Square, man, I want to talk to the guys with the tats and, and, and the different clothes than me, and I want to get to know them. And I want to shine Christ's light to to them. So if if God looks past the externals to the heart, then a great prayer for us would be this. God, help me see as you see. Help me to see people as you see them. Help me to see the potential that is there because of your grace that can change anyone just like it has changed me. This is what it looks like, I think, to think deeply about how God looks on our heart. But then number two, as we take the second step, here's the second step for us, all right? Out of our love for God that is hopefully ever-growing, we live for God with a heart that is full of God. You got that? Live for God with a heart that is full of God. We mentioned this, okay? Our lives are to be one of continual action. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so as we are made in God's image, God is a creative God, a working God. He's always at work. He never takes a day off. He never takes a moment off. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to rest. All right, He's unlike us. But God is a working God. He's always at work. And so we are made in His image, and we are made to engage in work. I mean, Christianity, unlike any other philosophy or religion, gives meaning to our nine to five or whatever that looks like for you, uh, in a way like like no other. We are made to work. We are made to honor God in our work. So so good works are not just. And I would commend this this week, by the way. But it's not just walking an old lady across the street. Yay, that was really nice. I mean, l- let's be nice to old ladies. Don't get me wrong. But everything we do, every good endeavor, every kind word, every time we are patient with people that are driving us bananas, it's all good works. It's all opportunities to to, to serve and to love others. This is what God invites us to. And so when he has our heart, our hands are sure to follow I love what the Heidelberg Catechism uh, says. Actually, the Heidelberg Confession. Um, no, it's Catechism, my bad. 1563, it's, it's a long, it happened a long time ago. It's hard for me to remember, all right? Um, listen to this question, all right? Catechisms are questions. So it should have been easy for me. All right, what is the coming to the life of the new man, all right? God makes us new when we're in Christ. So what does it look like for this life in us, this, this, this life of Christ in us to come more and more to life? Well, here's the answer. It is wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a delight to do every kind of good as God wants us to do. So some Christians are kind of pietistic, all right? We're just about the devotion and the holiness and I'm keeping my life pure and I'm just kind of you know, doing my thing to myself, but they, they never really engage with people. They never get out of the house. They never get out of the church. They never go and get their hands dirty. And then some some. Christians like to get their hands dirty, but they start to find their identity in serving God rather than knowing God, and so there becomes a disconnect both ways. And what I wanna encourage us to is this, okay, maybe there are two kinds of people here this morning, right? Number one, maybe some of you are saying, you know what, Tanner, you're talking about being devoted to God and being right with God and this vibrant relationship with God, and I don't feel like I'm there yet, so that must mean I'm not very useful and I can't really get in the game because I'm not there in my heart with God. And so I would just say, number one, like God offers you a gift that you can receive like right now. If you want to get your life in step with, with him, that's a gift that you can receive right now. And, and then once you do, it's not about being perfect. No one in here is perfect. You're not, certainly not looking at a perfect guy here. all right. So, so what we do is we don't wait to like get everything together to serve, but what we find out is that as we step out and we start to serve, God changes us. He transforms us. I mean, if you, want, if you want to engage in a good work, what are you doing? You're taking your eyes off of yourself. And when you do that, God starts to change you, right? Because you're, doing, you're fulfilling, the, hopefully, the, the, the greatest commandments of love for God and love of your neighbor, so, so if you're in that camp, you're saying, man, I have to get my life together before I serve. No, that's not the case. That's how devotion can be cultivated. But then number two, and I mentioned this a minute ago, those who love to serve just need to hear what Jesus says in Luke 10:20 to the disciples after they go out, 72 of them, and they're preaching the word, and they're casting out demons and all this, and they come back to Jesus, they're so fired up They say, Jesus, man, we cannot believe this. Just like you told us, the spirits are subject to us in your name. And what does Jesus say? He says this, I love this, man, he says, I tell you, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's not small stuff. I mean, what Jesus is saying here is that I have authority over all things and I have victory over all things and triumph over all things and you enter into that triumph when you connect your life to me. That is huge. Our works are huge, our service is huge for God. God. But he says this, then he says, nevertheless, I tell you, do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's what we rejoice in, that we are known by God, that we are loved by God, that there is nothing better than that, nothing we could ever do for God, okay? You couldn't couldn't speak before hundreds of thousands of people. You couldn't become the greatest missionary uh, to, 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 to Africa or East Asia and lead thousands of people to Christ. I mean, there's nothing you could do. You couldn't rise up in your profession and, and change the world through your profession. None of that would be better than simply knowing Christ. Nothing. So we see that, that as, as we as we devote ourselves to intimacy with God, that that the natural consequence of that is service for God. And verse 13 tells us that, that when Samuel anointed David, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And so if we're in Christ, the spirit of God dwells in us and he has given us everything we need to do the job that he sets before us. There's nothing we can do in life that God calls us to, that he does not equip us and empower us to do it for his name's sake. And so I want to wrap up with this, and then I'm just going to ask you to pray where you are, and I'm going to pray for us. But, but we have a lot going on as a church. All right, we're not a church. I mean, I just pray that this never happens. We're not going to be a church that sits on our hands. We come here once a week. We come back the next week. That's all it's about, okay? We're going to be a church that is active, active about loving one another, active about serving our community, getting outside of the walls of this church. I mean, it's pretty easy for us because we rent our space all the time, all right? But, 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 but life is happening out there in our neighborhood, in our workplaces, uh, on the streets, right? And so we have ways that we are constantly seeking to serve others. Soccer nights coming up. We have a lot of you have already volunteered, man. It's awesome. If you have time, one night or five nights, please help us out. It's an opportunity for what? A good work, to serve our neighbors, to serve kids ages 5 to 12 and, and give them a, a free soccer clinic. Man, that is awesome. But, but why are we gonna do that? Is it from a heart of devotion to God? God wants our hearts before he wants our service. We're about to make a big move. You've heard about by now, hopefully, to the Chevalier Theater in the fall. And it's an awesome opportunity. The summer is an awesome opportunity to reach out to those around us and tell them about Christ. It's gonna be another awesome opportunity come September when we move upstairs and we tell the whole city about it because we want to introduce them to what it means to follow Christ. and so, but, but, but why do we reach out to those around us? Hopefully it's because we love God, because we're serving God. We're gonna take up a special offering today. We've never done this before in this kind of way, but, but we're asking uh, all of us to consider what we can give financially to contribute to this big move. Okay, so whether that's $5, $500, somewhere in between, up up or down, below, it doesn't really matter. Because why? Because God is concerned about our heart. You can write a check for all 15,000. That's our goal. And if you don't do it from a heart that is out of love for God, then there's something that's that's deficient there. I mean, you can still write the check for 15,000. I'm just joking. (laughs) I'm just joking. (laughs) I couldn't resist that, man. All right. God, God wants our action, but God wants our hearts. You hear me. God wants our hearts. So what is it that God's calling to you in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in this church? What is the good work that God is setting before you today? Can we ask God to search our hearts, to know our hearts, to, to cultivate a heart that loves him above all things, that is, that is seeking intimacy with God in this close relationship that is, that is growing and vibrant, and then out of that, out of that, we're engaging in ministry for him. Let's pray together. Father, we are humbled and grateful that you would even care about us, that you would even look into our hearts and search to, to, to find people that that want to just humble ourselves before you and ask you to work in us. And so today, God, I pray that that would be all of us in this room, all of us, no matter where we are, no matter what our spiritual background may be, God, I pray that we would see the sufficiency that's in Christ and how we can have a vibrant relationship with you again, and Lord, that we would then engage in good works out of this heart that has been changed by your grace. So God, in in our devotion to you, as we pick up your word, may it be because we love you. As we pause to pray, whether it's to start our day, to end our day, or a dozen times in between, God, we pray that we would pray because we wanna seek you, because we wanna gaze upon you. God, as we serve, whether it's here on a Sunday morning or out at soccer nights or some other good endeavor like a food and clothing drive, the housing development coming up in a, in a month, Lord, we pray that it would be out of a heart that, that loves you. As we give any dime that you lead us to give, Lord, we pray that it would be cultivated out of a heart that loves you. So, Father, as we continue to worship you, pray that you would lead us to confess with our heart, with our desire, with our love, with 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 our thoughts, that Christ truly is enough for us. That you are enough and you satisfy us. So God, thank you for what you're doing in us. Thank you for what you're building in this church. God, we're nothing apart from you and your grace, but because of your spirit residing in us, God, there's no limit to what you can do through us. So help us to believe that, help us to live that, help us to be about that every single day. In Christ's name we pray.